think it's a great video and it just begs the question this morning, what are you hoping for this Christmas? For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be going through this uh, series, kind of preparing our hearts for the Christmas season. We're going to be taking a look at a couple different things. I guess as a way to start this, though, I want to share a story I heard the other day about a little girl. She was writing a missionary letter. It's kind of a prayer letter, just trying to wish them encouragement. But apparently the little girl had been told that, you know, not to expect a response from the missionary because they're really busy. So when the missionary got the letter, it was a little humorous. He got a little bit of a kick out of it because it read this way. Dear Mr. Missionary, we are praying for you, but we are not expecting an answer. <laughs> and, and I love that. It kind of sets up what I want to talk about a little bit today. It, I, I think what that little girl said, both comically and, and maybe also with a tinge of sadness, is I'm afraid that summarizes for many people their prayer lives today. There's lots of prayers going up to them, but we're not really expecting God to answer. And, and I think that short circuits our prayers, and I think... It keeps us from seeing miracles, and it keeps us from seeing God just do powerful things in our life. And, and I want to talk a little bit about that today. Just why is it that we've gotten so stuck in this idea of praying? Sometimes we don't even pray. Is, is that fair too? We go weeks sometimes without ushering up a prayer to the Lord, asking Him for this or that, or sharing with Him a celebration that's happened in our lives. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I, I think this happens, too, a lot of times during this time of year. If you think about Christmas, Christmas is a season of giving. It's a season of hope, right? It's a season of miracles. And it's not just Christians who believe this, right? It's, it's our world. I mean, the secular world believes this, too. Christmas is a time of being nicer to each other. And, and it even happens today. Not as much, maybe, but I was just trying to, we have to take a, a left-hand turn into in uh, this place where we take our girls to swim. And it's always really hard and it's really busy and, and nobody lets us in. And there's even two lines there saying that you have to let cars in, but they don't ever do it. And this last week, they let me in like two times. It was extraordinary. I was so excited about that. Something's different, I was thinking. But people are nicer. It's a time for generous giving, in fact. It's not just true in churches. It's true of all the, all the different nonprofit organizations that are out there. This is the biggest time of year where most people share the preponderance of what they give during the year. It's, it's incredible the kind of generosity that our culture shows this time of year. Sometimes you see it in the workplace. Sometimes you see it in people trying to reconcile past relationships. And you see it in your families, and you absolutely see it on the Hallmark Channel, because this is what they base every single movie around. In fact, there's a little bit of a joke in our family, because I think we record all of them. I have three girls and my wife and my family. So I think we record all of them. And it's funny, because they'll be like, I wonder what's going to happen next. I'm like, this, this is going to happen next. You know, and it's not tricky. But they all, they love them, so we watch them. But you absolutely see these themes throughout the media, and because this is so different from the rest of the time of the year, it builds kind of a time where people are amazingly looking to God more, right? Where they're amazingly praying more. Because as they look at these differences, they see and it has impact on them that maybe there's hope for a better tomorrow. Maybe there's something that they can trust in. And all of a sudden you see more people just at least being a little bit more open to God. I think that's why you see an influx on Christmas Eve and and maybe even the season around it. And I guess as we look at that, this idea of being more hopeful in God and this idea that maybe we should try prayer more, I want to look at that today because I think 
Again, I think we short-circuit so much of what we can experience from God. I'll just give you a quick illustration. This morning, we got to experience God answer a prayer in a really cool way. We got here at 7 o'clock as we normally do, and we went to open up the doors to our office where the microphones are and my sermon is and your bulletins are and all these different things, and we couldn't open the door. And so they called the locksmith. Something, something got jammed in there, and we were unable to open the door, and it was approaching 8 o'clock, and I didn't have my robes on, and I didn't have a microphone on and I didn't have my sermon so this was gonna be awesome and then and then somebody and then James ran and got he had an iPad still so then he got my sermon on the iPad so I was gonna preach over there and I was just ready for people to go what's going on pastor and when five minutes before the service because we had been praying the whole time the door opened inexplicably and we got it all figured out and there was a time kind of thing that was is important there and you could say that's just coincidence but we prayed and God answered. Five minutes before service started. Got our blood going a little bit. But when you pray those kind of prayers, do you always expect an answer? It's just a challenge for you, just a little bit today. And so we're going to talk about prayer. And I'm going to begin this way. I'm going to say, wonderfully, God does not treat prayer like a vending machine. And you're listening to me and you're saying, no, pastor, we would love it to work like a vending machine. We could usher in our prayer and we would get exactly what we want every single time. It would be awesome. And so again, I say to you, we wonderfully don't look at prayer. God wonderfully doesn't look at prayer as a vending machine. And you say, Why? And the answer is simply this, because we're not always the best judges of what it is that we need. I'll give you an example of that. It's much like a child asking for something from his parents that he isn't ready for, right? And sometimes a parent, when they come to you and they ask you for different things, sometimes a parent says no because it's just not ready. It's not time. It's not good for you, whatever. And sometimes God also responds in the same way. And I think that's a hard reality for us. I'll give you another example. Every once in a while, I know you guys probably buy a lottery ticket because it gets up there and you think, maybe, it, you know, it's like the old Dumb and Dumber quote, you're saying there's a chance, right? So we go, by, we go by the lottery ticket thinking this is the time. And maybe we even pray for it. And we kind of make it spiritual and say, we'll give some to the building fund or whatever it is, right? And, and, and we're saying, this is the time. We're praying about it. And then all of a sudden, the numbers come out. We don't win. And we're, we're just brutally disappointed, right? Everybody been there once before? Okay. Now, I'll just give you a different thing, looking at God not as a vending machine, but as a God, a heavenly father who loves you. There's a study out there that says that 80%, it was done in Florida, I don't know, 10 years ago, but 80% of the people who win the lottery are penniless within 10 years. It's a hard stat for me to comprehend. But might it just possibly be that God doesn't allow us to win sometimes to protect us? Because is winning the lottery really worth destroying ourselves or worse, destroying our families? Or, or maybe worse, destroying our eternity so that we can win the lottery. Sometimes God has a better plan, is all I'm saying. And sometimes he says no because he loves us, because he has a better plan, a greater plan, not just for us, but even for the people around us. So then we start asking, what should our attitudes then be as we go to God in prayer? I and mean, what should we be able to expect when we go to God? If he's not like a vending machine, what, what should we be able to expect? Or maybe I'll ask it this way. What are you hoping for this Christmas? Or what possibly could you hope for this Christmas if you bring God into it?
I want to take a look at what prayer then should be or could be for us as we, as we kind of approach this Christmas season. And one of the, the first things I want to give you the guise of, I want you to look at him as the perfect dad. Maybe you didn't have the perfect dad growing up, but God is the perfect dad and he works all things for your good. And so one of the first things he says is that we must be willing to let God answer in his own time. And that's hard for us. This means according to his schedule. It means according to his timetable. In other words, whenever God thinks it's best. Because the fact is, and I don't know if you've noticed this so far, but sometimes God delays the answers to your prayers. Anybody experienced that just once? Like all the time, right? He doesn't answer everything immediately. Why? I think it's a great question, and a lot of people struggle with it. A lot of people get angry at God when he doesn't respond as the vending machine that they wish he would be. And I think as we listen to that, that text that was read on Zacharias, I think he experienced this a little bit as well. See, Zacharias was a little bit skeptical, and I'll share with you why I think he was so skeptical. Amazing man of God, though, above reproach in every way. But, but the angel comes to him at the temple and says, God sent me here. I am Gabriel, the archangel, and you're going to have your prayers answered. And Zechariah, in verse 18, he says, how can I be sure of this? Now, you could just take a step back for a moment. Maybe talking to an angel would help, you know, all right? I mean, he's talking to an angel of God. He recognizes an angel of God. Seems like that would go a long way into helping us believe. But he still, even though he's talking to Gabriel, says, how can I be sure of this? He couldn't quite believe it. It was too good to be true. Has that ever happened to you? Were you afraid to hope in something that's too good to be true because usually those things don't happen? That was where Gabriel was. And maybe also the answer was because Gabriel had stopped praying this prayer a lot of years earlier. If you read the passage casually, it looks like he went into the temple, he prayed, and the angel came and said, your prayers have been answered, but that's not actually the way it went down. See, the fact of the matter is, is that both, both Zacharias and Elizabeth had given up on this prayer years earlier. Zacharias said this, he said, I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. I, I love the tact in that. That was an amazing way to say that. Right? But he says, we gave up praying this prayer a long time ago. You know, back when we were looking to have kids. You know, back when we were hoping to have kids. Fact is, though, God answers our prayers immediately. But sometimes there's a delay in the giving of the gift. He hears the prayers immediately. They're there instantaneously. But sometimes out of love for us. Or love for some of the others around us. He delays the answer for a period of time. And I think that's one of the hardest things that we have to learn as, as disciples. Because we are into instant gratification. We love the idea of the vending machine God. We hate that we have a Father in heaven that loves us and says no. Actually, we love that, but then we hate it when he says no, right? So you start asking, why does God do this? And usually it's because he needs to prepare us first. Just like in real life with our parents, right? God in real life wants to prepare us as well. He needs to get us ready. For example, if my littlest comes to me and says, Daddy, I want to drive your car. I says, sweet, that's awesome, but you're eight years old and there's no way. And it'll be your mom's car when you can drive. So I'm just letting you know this. And she gets all sad and I say, hey, but one day, honey, you'll be able to drive. When you're older, when you're more mature, when you've learned how to drive, you'll get your request answered and you'll be able to drive your mom's car. I, I promise you. <laughs> but not now because you're not ready yet. See, God's delays in answering our prayers many times because he's still waiting for us to grow up. He's still waiting for it to be the right time. See, the fact of the matter is, is that God is way more interested in making us mature than he is at making our life easy. And again, we kind of don't like that either. We'd love for our lives to be easy. 
So he starts by saying first, let's get your life changed, and then I'll help you start working on the problem. And so instead of going out and saying, Lord, change my situation, maybe we should start praying, Lord, change me in the midst of my situation. Lord, change me in my marriage with my spouse. You know, that's one of the big things in counseling, sometimes marital counseling. You, wanna, you can only control you, right? And so you turn to the one and say, you need to work on this and only you can do it. And then you turn to the other and say, you can work on this and only you can do it. Stop worrying about the other person right now. Just work on your stuff. And if you change, it necessarily means that they have to change too. Lord, change me in the midst of this job problem. See, once we're in line, God can go ahead and, and often answer the prayers. Because the reality is this is that God is never late. His timing is perfect. We may think he's late. We may think he's way late, but he's never late. God's delays are not his denials. God's not yet's are not his no's. But we must be willing to let God, the loving father that he is, answer in his own time. And that's one of the big things we need to learn about prayer. But he goes on and gives us another one to consider this morning as well. And it's this. We must be willing to let God answer in his own way. Not only whenever he thinks is best, but however he thinks is best. Because God's ways are always better and usually bigger when he answers. The Bible says this in Isaiah, my ways are not your ways. I do not like that part of scripture, except that when I realize he's a loving God and works all things for my good, then I, I learn to embrace it and enjoy it. But I like my ways. I want him to answer my ways. But sometimes he says no because his ways are higher, God says. The reason God often delays in prayer is so that he can answer in a bigger and a better way than we thought possible or that we even prayed. What would have happened in the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah if God had answered their request for a baby immediately? What would they have gotten? They would have gotten an amazing little Jewish baby, right? They would have loved him or her so much. They would have cherished that baby. It would have been great. But because God delayed the request by a number of years, when he answered, he gave them a John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus Christ. The last Old Testament prophet, the only prophet to be able to see the prophecies of Jesus fulfilled, which is kind of a cool thing for a prophet, to see those fulfilled. The forerunner of the Messiah, the one who got to introduce Jesus into the world. Because God delayed the request, he just didn't give him a baby. He gave him a, a John the Baptist. He was the greatest prophet in the history of the world, Jesus says. Got to introduce Jesus himself to a world that was needed by him. But our problem is, is so, so often we ask too little and we want it too quick. Instead of waiting on God and work, letting him work it out in his time and his way to do something big, well, we just don't dream big enough. We don't ask him enough. We don't pray big enough. We don't think big enough. Why? Because we're afraid he won't answer. And so we just don't. We aim too low. Yet Paul's talking to this in Ephesians 3.20. He says, but God is able to do even exceedingly above what you think are able to think or imagine. And so I talk about this, this box that we place God in so often, right? And Paul's just trying to say, blow out the edges of that. God can do more. It's more than you can think or imagine. Trust God for more in your life, more than you're doing. Take steps if you want, but, but realize that he's bigger than what you're allowing him to be. In, in seminary, I had a professor one time ask this question, and it just befuddled us at the beginning of the semester. He says, how big will you let your Jesus be for you? I love that question. I didn't understand it at all the first time, so I'll explain it. Jesus is as big as we'll let him be for us. Is he big enough to forgive your sins? Say yes, right? Is he, is he big enough to be there for every possible moment of your life? Is he big enough to give you strength? Is he big enough to answer your prayers? Is he big enough? God says he's huge. 
bigger than we can think or imagine. So let them be more. So God says, let me answer in my own time and in my own way. You're praying about a situation and all of a sudden it doesn't work out. Don't worry about it. God has plan B. Actually, it was plan A. Yours was B. You know, God knew the whole time. But God answered in his own time and in his own way. Because sometimes the worst thing in the world, right, is for us to get our requests answered. And then I'll give you this last one. We must be willing to let God answer in his own power and his own ability. This is for the control of enthusiasts out there. But in other words, we have to not try to help out God too much, right? You don't ask for it and then try to go work it all out on your own power. God does call us to do what we can do, you know, in life. He wants us to be responsible. He wants us working on the issue. But sometimes the, the control enthusiasts amongst us, we, we try to go beyond that. And we try to force the issue. We try to make all, all sorts of solutions around the issue. Even though we know we can't control it, we can't let it be. So I'll just say, let God answer in his own power. And when you do, that's called a miracle. It's called an answer to prayer. So God says, let me do it on my own power. And there's an important truth in the story of Zacharias about that and Elizabeth. And that's that God waits until often the situation is humanly impossible before he answers. And when he did, God gave Zacharias and Elizabeth a baby. They were beyond childbearing years is what the text says. They were too old. They were physically unable to have kids. And then God finally answers. Why? Because then God gets the credit. Because then God gets the glory. And why is that important? So that people put their trust in him and are saved. See, God wants people to believe in him so that they would trust him with their lives, trust Jesus with their salvation, and go to heaven. But I want to give you a warning. If you start praying about something, particularly a problem, don't be surprised if sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. There's a beautiful story in the Bible that illustrates this. It's the story of Mary and Martha. They had a brother named Lazarus who was getting sick, and so they called out to Jesus and said, Jesus, you've got to come. You've got to come. He's getting sicker. We don't know if he's going to make it. Jesus was two hours away. It took him four days to get there. If you're looking from the outside, you think, man, Jesus, you're pretty callous. Why in the world didn't you go? You could have saved him if you'd gone. So Jesus walks up. Lazarus, by the way, now has died. It's four days later. Martha and Mary come running up. They both said the same thing. Jesus, where have you been? If you had been here, when we called you, this wouldn't have happened. We called four days ago and you delayed. What were you doing? Our brother's dead. And they're rebuking God. They don't mean to be, but they are. And we do the same kinds of things when God doesn't quite answer us the way we think. We say stuff like this. Why, God? Why are you doing this to me, God? What are you doing, God? Why haven't you answered, God? This is still lousy, God. And Jesus just calmly looks at him and he says this, Mary, Martha, if, if you still believe, you'll see the glory of God and, and you'll see a miracle. So he walks up to the cave because that's where they bury people in caves. They roll away the stone and Jesus says, Lazarus, come on out. And weirdly, Lazarus came on out. He rose from the dead. He freaked everybody out, right? They gave praise to God. They were amazed at what just had happened. Jesus waited until the situation was humanly impossible, and then he came and he answered, and he did it in his own power so that he might receive glory. Why? So that people would put their trust in him and be saved. In the end, I think the thing that I most want you to understand about prayer is that it's about a relationship. It's about connecting with your amazing God and Heavenly Father. In fact, even now as we sit here in the middle of this worship service in December, we can't help but be reminded that it was in his own time, in his own way, in his own power, in his own purpose that he sent us his son, Jesus. 
And in every way through Jesus, he tried to show the world that he loved them. And to be fair, I think that's why 2,000 years later, that's why we're still celebrating it. See, if you miss it, that's the message of Christmas, that you matter to him, that he loves you, right? He, he saw how wicked we are. He saw how messed up we can get. He saw the rebellion in our hearts. He knew there was no way to heaven, and so he sent us Jesus because he couldn't stand that to happen, because he loved us. And because he loves us, we matter, and because we matter, he sent us Jesus. And he did this so that we might not only know that we're forgiven, but also that we're truly loved and forgiven by this amazing God. That no matter how crazy our lives get, he is there for us, and he wants to come and spend time with us. That no matter how much we feel out of control in our lives, that we have a God who's always in control. That no matter how hopeless things can get, he comes as the author of hope to give us hope again and again and again. And that in his own time, in his own way, in his own power, and according to his own purpose, he's still working all things for the good of those who love him. And may those truths, may that give you hope this Christmas. May it allow you to blow the edges off what it is you're allowing Jesus to be in your life. May he give you confidence as you pray to him. And may you see miracles, and may he increase your faith, and may you rejoice this Christmas. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let us pray. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for Jesus this morning. I think one of the most incredible things about Christmas, Lord, is, is you know, not so much Santa Claus, though he's very cool, and the presents, and all the parties, and the schedules, but... But Lord, it's just that you loved us so much that you sent us your son. That you sent him into the world because you knew we couldn't do it without you. Because we mattered to you. And so no matter what goes crazy in our lives, Lord, we can know that from the very beginning and still today that we matter because you love us so much. And that you'll do anything for us, even the sending of your son Jesus to this earth. Father, we rejoice in this sentiment. We rejoice in your love, and we thank you for Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.